You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. I was 15 years old, and the uh, words that were in my mind that I felt resonating in my heart uh, were that my pride was keeping me in my seat, that my pride was keeping me from taking that step forward. I had been raised in that church. Everybody knew me, knew my family. I had been baptized as a young uh, six-year-old, but the Lord got a hold of me that day, and I knew that whatever had happened in that moment was eternal, that I had truly received Jesus, but I was fixated in my seat. I couldn't move, and it finally took a pastor saying, it's pride, it's pride that's keeping so many of you in your seats, and I knew that whoever else he was talking to, that man was talking to me as well. Over the years, I would like to tell you that I have Uh, had the battle with my pride, and I have won it. But that would be the biggest lie ever. Because the truth is that though I may have won the battle that day, the war continues. And every day that I live my Christian life, I still have to battle with pride, and so do you. How that pride manifests itself more often than not in the Christian life is this. When we allow our pride to take over, It keeps us from doing what God would have us do. So pride, for a person who does not know Jesus, can send them to uh, an eternity apart from God. Pride in a believer's heart keeps the believer from praise and worship. Pride in our hearts is what keeps us from the move of the Spirit. Now, we know it has been said that there is a move of God in Kentucky. There is a move of God that is spread to many other places, and we are excited about that. When Rich said earlier that this is a safe place, let me just unpack that a little bit. We've been talking about the need to make it clear that it is not our job to try to figure out what God is doing, but to make sure everybody knows that the Spirit of God is welcome to move in this place. I'm not going to sit here and try to figure out what's going on in Kentucky. I was born there, but I ain't been there in a little while, so I don't know. But I do know what God wants to happen in our place. He wants to move. And I don't think it is an accident. It is absolute providence that we are in the book of Acts for just such a time as this. God has brought us here to the book of Acts because if there is a model for revival, if there is a picture for what God does when he lets loose on his people, it is in the book of Acts and it is no more clearly described for us than in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And so it just so happens that as God begins to move in our land, he is moving us through Acts chapter 2. No mistake. You, I don't know what you're thinking about it, but no mistake. No doubt in my mind that God has us here. So if you have your copy of Scripture, won't you stand with me? Because revival is built on the Word of God. God speaks to us through His Word. He changes lives. Let's hear these words of Scripture. We're kind of in the middle of Acts chapter 2. We're looking at this sermon that Peter preached. And if you'll look at verse 25, it says this. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness 
with your presence. Now, here's what's interesting. Peter, as he reads this, he wants them to understand that David spoke these words, but he was not speaking about himself. He was speaking about Jesus. Notice what he says. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Let's pray. God, we pray that you will help us to see a clearer picture of who you are. Today, God, all this talk of revival is a beautiful thing to my ears, something that I have prayed for for many years, to see a movement that cannot be explained or described, just a movement of your spirit. Lord, we pray that we will see that, but I pray in this room that we will see you, Jesus, that our eyes will be open to see you. Let your spirit move through us that we may see you. And Lord, when we see you, our hearts will immediately began to see what needs changing. So God, I'm praying for that kind of change in our hearts today, that you will revive each one of us, that it will start with us, that we will sense in our hearts what you would have us do. God, move in this place today. Speak through your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Those first words of our text, for David says concerning him, and then the next line, I saw the Lord. I wonder how many of us in this room have had a direct encounter with Jesus, that we would see him. Now, think about David. This is 800 years before the time of Christ, and yet David says, I saw the Lord. It has been 2,000 years since Jesus walked this world, but I want to say to you, we can have the testimony that says, I have seen the Lord. God works in this way. He can work through time and all of history to bring us to a place where we see God and know. And there's an old saying, seeing is believing. And I know many of us in this room, we are skeptical about things. We want things proven to us. We live in the show me state. That's the way it is. But I want you to know that we all believe in something. We all have something that is driving us. And my prayer is today, if whatever is driving you forward is anything other than Jesus, that he will change your hearts today, that he will show you what to believe in. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 13, 16, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. 
Years ago, when I would read that passage, I would think, yeah, what a blessing that must have been to be in the presence of Jesus, to actually see him heal somebody, to actually hear him preach like the Sermon on the Mount. How awesome would that be? But Jesus lets us know that his miracle-working power and his word did not just stay in that little region of the world 2,000 years ago. He promised that the Holy Spirit would come so that we could hear his words and so that we could see his actions. When the word is opened up, when we hear the word of God proclaimed, we are hearing a direct word from God just as Jesus would have spoken to his disciples. We have everything we need. And God worked through those disciples. And you know the stories from the Gospels. I mean, if you're here today and you're worried about not being quite up to the task or being less than perfect as a believer, just look at the disciples. They were honorary. They were missing it many times. They're missing the move of God. They are right there with Jesus, and they're missing the move of God. So listen, if you've been missing the movement of God in your life, you're in good company. The disciples missed it. It is the easiest thing to do because we get caught up in this world. We get caught up in the ways of the world. And we're worried about jobs and family and all those important things. But those are the things that so often get in our way and distract us. If we will have our eyes on Jesus, what we'll see is is that Jesus has his eyes on us. That he has his eyes on our families. He has those things covered. You are worrying and I am worrying about things that are out of our control. But they are not out of Jesus' control. What is in your control is a desire to be in the presence of God. So notice this. God isn't looking for a perfect faith. But he is offering us a saving faith. Your faith is not perfect because the disciples, if their faith wasn't perfect, I don't know what you think yours is going to be. God uses us, even as broken people, but he gives us this saving faith, a faith so strong that even those, as we keep saying, Acts 2.23, Acts 2.36, even those who had crucified Jesus had a chance at forgiveness. I want to say to you again, if you know that there is sin in your life, if you know that there is darkness, if you know there is brokenness, it's okay. We all have to come to that realization. We all have to be honest about our sinfulness. And we can come to Jesus who forgives us by the power of the cross. We believe that. We are here today to believe that, uh, that, that God can and will do things here. We want you to know that revival is welcome here. We want you to be awakened. We want you to be renewed and refreshed. We believe that that's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring life in a world filled with death. And he was willing to go even to a cross for us. The wickedness of this world has been on display in recent weeks. Have you noticed? Have you noticed how the world is no longer trying to hide its worship of the devil? They put it on primetime television. Okay? So it's interesting to me that in this age, in this time, when more and more boldness is being expressed in terms of just saying, hey, we're going to just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag and worship the devil. Well, you know what? That was five minutes on TV, and the revival that's happened in Asbury has gone for over a week. Guess what? God's got more. It's no accident that as we watch our culture become more and more backward and dark, that a revival would come. That's when revivals come. 
It's at the nadir. It's at the low point that God sends a great movement. And we are here to proclaim the goodness of God because God promises us a kingdom, an old saint once said, and is despised. The devil helps us to hell and he is honored. I want you to realize that's how messed up the world is. That so many people are going to shun the God who wants to save them and celebrate the, the, the demonic, satanic element that wants to destroy them. We have a message that is so much better. We have hope and truth and life, and we want to share that. Earlier this week, we always go over these, these sermons and talk about them and, and uh, put the slides together and all those things, and I could just tell something wasn't quite right. I had, I had written uh, what I had written, but I knew that there was something missing. And this weekend, as I was contemplating, as I was thinking about what this moment would be like, the Lord began to show me that it is about seeing Jesus. What we see in this text is about seeing Jesus, but I would say it is also about seeing and sensing revival. Those two things are not different things. Those two things are the same thing. If we are truly going to be in the presence of Jesus, if we are celebrating him and worshiping him and praising him as we ought, that is revival. Revival is when we can't get enough of Jesus. I think in this world today, many of us, we, there's a lot of things we like and we enjoy and we're going to get as much of as we can, but it hadn't been Jesus in a long time. We need to want Jesus more than we want anything else. And we believe that God is about to do a great work. And I pray that the Lord will give us a fresh vision of Jesus and a fresh vision of revival. Now, as I think about what's going on in the nation today, one of the things that occurred to me is that we need to ask the question, okay, what is going on there and is it legitimate? Is it real? Well, naturally, there are people who are going to immediately say that whatever is happening that is spiritual is not real. It's funny how some people feel self-appointed uh, to tell us what God can do. One of the critiques is, is that it's with young people. Well, I'll have to tell you something. In the history of revival, it's almost always young people because us older folks, we're too established and too set in our ways to hear the voice of God. You want to know why it starts with young people? It's because I believe they really are hungry in a way that we've forgotten how to be hungry. Now, I want you to know this, that just because it started with young people doesn't mean it has to stay there. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, every demographic gets to get in on the fun. It starts with the young people. I will pour out my spirit on the flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Guess what? Old men can see things too. Yes. Someone said the other day, they, they talked about me, they said he's a, he's a very nice middle-aged man. And I was like, I used to be called like a boy preacher. I was 19 when I started, so now I'm a nice middle-aged man. Anyway, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. Oh, this is gray hair. My, my kids say I'm not a, a middle-aged man. They say I'm over the hill. But anyway, it can't just be one demographic. God wants all of us to have our hearts touched, to have a faith that's living again. I think so many of us, if we have faith, the pulse is weak. As we were talking about last week, it's a weak pulse. But you are alive. So what does it look like? 
when revival begins to happen in a church? Let me begin in an odd place. Well, we are able to see the word. Revival is word-centric. Now, this is where I think people would not even for a minute imagine that this is what would happen. When we think of revival, we think of emotionalism. We think of people laying out and you know crying and all those things. And those things are going to happen when your heart gets broken by sin. But I'll tell you this. Every single major revival that I know that has changed the world had the word of God in the center of it. They don't get away from the word. The word provides the rails. And I want you to realize that this greatest of revival that took place in Acts 2, where 3,000 souls are saved in one preaching event, it was after a sermon that was exegetically sound, which means it was based on the Bible, brothers and sisters. Notice that we've already covered a bunch of those passages in Joel, verses 17 through 21. Here in this passage that I read to you today, I'll have you know there are quotes from the Psalms there. And again, Peter is making it clear that God has been speaking from the beginning of time and telling people about Jesus. I want you to realize that here we have these prophecies of Pentecost were there in the Old Testament. And Peter points out at the beginning of his sermon that all that's going on in that day is a fulfillment of what God had promised. Let me tell you this. God has promised if you are willing to surrender your sins and come into the presence of God, he is willing and able to save you. And I want you to see that when you come to the ministry of Jesus, Scripture filled the heart of Jesus. It spilled out of the heart of Jesus. It guided every step of Jesus all the way to the cross. The Bible is not a disjointed bunch of books that have varying meanings and different angles. No, if you read it carefully, you'll see that everything in the Scriptures points us to Jesus. And so if everything in the scriptures point us to Jesus, then everything in preaching ought to point us to Jesus. Everything we sing ought to point us to Jesus. Our prayers, our ministry, it must be about Jesus. If we are word-centric, we will be Christ-centered because Christ was filled with the word. We are not going to experience revival and then do it our way. We're going to experience revival when we see God's way. When we are witnesses to God's power and we realize that it matches with what the scriptures have said all along. This passage is powerful. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter wants uh, people to see that David's words... The words of David that I read to you that we have here in verses 25 through 28 and again in verse 34, all these words were spoken by a man 800 years before the event. They could not refer to David's life because David died. David was put in a tomb. Peter says you can go to that tomb today. And that day, I guess, you could go see David's tomb And he's saying, how can these words be true unless these words be about Jesus? But we know David both died and was buried, yes. But we also know that these words point us to Jesus. I want to just say this. We must open our eyes and our ears to the scriptures. And I want to encourage you. We must let scripture speak louder than any other voice we listen to in this world. 
We are listening to other voices today, and those voices are loud. Let me just say, last night as I was uh, sitting around and, and just preparing my mind and my heart, it occurred to me how often on a Friday and a Saturday I'll just uh, watch a movie, you know, turn Netflix on and watch a movie or something like that and, and waste time and not really do things that are productive. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done anything like that, that you make the most of every second of your time. Um, but I found myself this weekend meditating on that thought. Now, I'm not getting on to you. It's okay to have some recreation in your life, something that you can kind of plug out for, or you know, tune out for a little bit. That's fine. But what I'm noticing is this in my life, that it is so easy for me to kind of tune out when God is wanting me to tune in. How many of us are coming to church and we are like right now as dry as kindling, that means not good, that you know we are dry as a bone, we can't seem to have any of the power of the Spirit in us, but really we've not even prepared for this moment. You came to church today and you made it. I'm happy, I really am, I'm glad you're here, I don't want to make light of that. Because um, I can just walk and walk out of here. No, 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 listen to me. Don't get sassy with me, okay? Don't get sassy. Let me be sassy. But anyway, you don't be sassy. Don't, don't think for a moment that just showing up checks the box. I think if Rich can show up in the morning and be more worried about the order of worship, which I wadded up and threw at Johnny a minute ago, if you didn't notice that, if we can be like that, the guys that, that really, this is our job, this is our duty. I can just hear you say, well, you know, it's your job to do this. Listen, it's your job to worship too. It's your job to worship too. And let me go back to what I said at the beginning. Pride will send people to a devil's hell, but pride keeps Christians from experiencing the joys of heaven on earth through worship. Too many of us are missing the power of God. And I want to tell you, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be over the top. I think what we need to do is make sure that everything we say and do is centered on the word. We need to make sure that the words of Jesus flow. When we look at the story of Easter on the road to Emmaus, what does Jesus do? He spends a little time with two disciples, two unnamed, uh, two disciples, and as they're walking along, they're on the road to Emmaus, he takes the Old Testament and he says, look, let me show you where Jesus is from beginning to end. You see, that's what the Word does. The Word reminds us that God so loved the world. The Word reminds us that every single one of us, though we are sinners, there is hope and forgiveness in Jesus. The Word is a better Word. And you can't love Jesus as you should if you don't love his word. As we experience the light of the gospel together, and I hope the winds of revival, I hope you realize that part of that's going to be that you will learn to love the scriptures more. There is nothing better, nothing better, let me tell you from experience, there is nothing better than opening up your Bible and reading a passage of scripture that you've read many times before, and it comes alive before you. Revival, when revival takes place, the passages that you didn't notice yesterday, you can't do without today. And if you haven't experienced that, that's okay because there's still time. God wants to revive your heart and to show you in his word some beautiful things. Let's talk about the second thing that happens when revival happens. We are able to see the witness. Revival visibly changes people. Now, I want you to get this straight. When I say revival visibly changes people, 
I'm not just, again, talking about the outside emotive, emotional elements. Some of us are more emotional than others. That's why my friendship with Johnny, people just can't quite figure it out because we, we are emotionally geared differently. Amen. I'm, I'm nerd. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to say this as, as, as uh, nicely as I can. Um, he, he is far more fun to be with than me. Um, I tend to be on the nerdy side. He's on the let's light something on fire side. That's okay. <laughs> now, what God has taught us in our relationship is that it's not either or. It's a little bit of both. That God gives us these things in our minds. And you know what? I'm sorry, if we can truly read about what Jesus did for us on the cross and not get a little fired up, there's something wrong with us. But when it changes you, I don't know what it will look like when it changes you. It will, though, be a better you. I'm looking for God to make you a better you. And when the Spirit of God moves, I promise you, when the mighty rushing wind comes through, as we see here in Acts 2, 1 through 5, when the tongues of fire fall, for some people it is very external and obvious. But for other people, it's a deeper, uh, more substantive experience with God. One or the other, I don't care. I just want you to know that when Jesus touches you, he changes you. The new wine when it enters into you, is not going to let you stay the same. It's going to turn you upside down. What God did on the day of Pentecost was special. And one thing we need to realize is, is that God moved this way on the day of Pentecost. That doesn't mean that he has to move the same way every time. You have your routines. God wants to blow up your routines. God cannot be put in a box. Does the Bible give us the rails for revival? Absolutely. But it doesn't prescribe the only way. I'm here to tell you the revivals that are happening in the land today are worship revivals. There are times where, where, where young people are there together and they're experiencing a sweetness in Jesus. I read one critic of this revival. And I'm telling you, revival, that's the first thing it brings up is critics. Like weeds. They grow everywhere. And this one critic said, well, you know, I had a a religious encounter like that. This is a believer, okay? And I got really fired up for Jesus in college, but now I have a job and I have a family. And, you know, um, I just see that that was just emotionalism. I don't yell at my computer a lot, but I might have yelled at my computer. And my Apple didn't do anything wrong, but I was upset. Now, what he was saying, I understand. He said, it's kind of like these young men who in these war movies, are going to war. And they're excited about going to war. And he quoted a, a movie that's come out recently. I don't even know if he knows it's actually a book. But anyway, I don't want to get into that. But he was talking about how these young men were so enthusiastic about war, and then they find out that war is terrible. And he said, that's what these kids are going to experience. Well, way to go. Wow, what a brilliant observation. There is sin in the world, and Christians are going to suffer. That's nothing new. Let me tell you what he missed. Let me tell you what he missed. It is true that we are all going to walk out of these doors and face challenges. But why in the world would I want to criticize and critique it when a young person falls in love with Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Because I don't want any critiques from people that ain't in love with Jesus. 
And people who are in love with Jesus actually act like they love Jesus. And they are changed. Who they were matters not. Who they are matters. And I believe with all my heart that today God is putting love, the love of Jesus, into young people's hearts because you know what? Love conquers all. I am sick and tired of cynicism. I have been the cynic. I remember years ago, I was one of those preachers who felt the need to comment on everything, everything that was going on in Christianity. Now that we have social media, everybody can comment and and share their minds. Aren't we blessed? (laughs) Why do all the smallest minds speak the most? That's just a question I have. I don't know. Listen, it's okay to have thoughts. Believe you me. But the Lord taught me a long time ago that when I'm being critical and cynical, I'm not filled with the Spirit. And and when I can only see what's wrong with something, I don't know that that's God giving me the Spirit of God. I've heard a lot of nonsense pinned on discernment. That people discern. They have the gift of discernment. Well, maybe I do too. (laughs) And maybe I discern that whatever you got ain't God. Who's right? I don't know. So let's not get caught up in that. Let's do this. Let's say that if God is pouring out, then people will be changed. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. When it is a move of God, God pours out, okay? Remember a few weeks ago I said that we aren't into sprinkles. Sprinkles are for donuts. We're for the plunging. We're for a immersion. It's pouring out. God pours out. And when he pours out, he changes us. He completely washes away the old me, the old you, and replaces it with something new and fresh. When the Spirit is poured out, lives are visibly changed. Years ago, in our prayer time, the Lord gave me a vision of a a flood. We lived there in DeSoto. It was an area that had a bunch of old artesian wells. They'd capped them over years and years ago. But I had this image in my mind of that, of that water just shooting through those caps and flooding that little city of DeSoto. And I can say I, I, I don't think the Lord wanted me to be there to see that in that city. But I do believe that that image of a flood of revival is operative for every church. Amen. It's needed here in Springfield. We need to experience the flood of revival. We need God to change us. I know that in this room there are so many of you who love Jesus and you need an outlet for that expression. We want to be a church that gives you an outlet for that expression. As Jesus changes you, we want to see the very best of you poured out for the least of these around us. We want to see the very best of you poured out so that there can be churches planted all around the world. We want to see the very best of you poured out so that all that negativity that rules our lives can no longer rule our lives, but instead we will have the joy of Jesus. True faith in Christ finds expression in the outpouring of love. I want you to be able to pour out your hearts and to love well. If Jesus has changed your mind, brother, sister, He will begin to change your actions. 
This passage shows that when the Spirit moves, it's a pouring out. It's a definitive change. It alters the equation. It is powerful. And I pray that as revival comes into this land, that that change will occur in you. But that really brings us to what I think is the most important lesson to learn today. And it's already been touched on. I think Rich mentioned this earlier. He used the word repentance. I believe that when it is true revival, we are able to see our own wickedness. Revival starts with repentance. I want to show you a couple things here in the text. Look at verse 32. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When we open our eyes to Jesus, when we see him, here's what happens. When we see Jesus, when we are truly in his presence, there is a feeling within us that can be described as fear, but Whatever it is, it is humbling. It brings us down. If there's any element, even a stitch of pride in your soul, it has to be removed. When we are in the presence of Jesus, it is immediate that we can sense our sin and uncleanness. Now, when we ask people to come to the altar, we're not trying to manufacture anything. I'm not trying to manufacture a response. But what I'm saying is this. If God is convicting you of a sin in your heart and you are not praying it through, if you are not confessing that prayer, is the altar the only place where that can happen? Absolutely not. But my guess is if you're not taking that step to come to the altar, you're not taking that step to go to Jesus either. You dismiss it and you move on and you think about what's coming next. Probably lunch. And the devil wants that. The devil wants you to continually walk away from that feeling that you need to get right. Because every step you take away from that feeling, that need to get right, you get further and further from the holiness of God and the power of God. If we are going to shine as a bright witness, if we're going to show how Jesus has changed us, we must let God take away our sins. Conversion occurs when we see the wonders of Jesus' love and the wickedness of our own hearts. Think about it. Salvation has like those two components. Yes, I think ultimately we realize that Jesus is the real thing. And that he is amazing and mighty to save. But in the very next instant, we find ourselves saying, I need to be saved. I am a sinner. And I want you to know that this, all this talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and that the audience that was there was guilty of the crucifixion of Jesus, it shows us that there is no sin too great for Jesus to forgive. One of the things the Lord has really impressed upon my heart, I'm going to just speak here personally for a few moments. And, and, and uh, over the years... I've noticed that being raised in church is the best thing in the world. It gives me such a great advantage. But one of the disadvantages is this. It is so easy for me to see where other people have sinned and done wrong. My eyes, I, I've, I've said it before, I have 20-20 vision when it comes to the sins of others. 
I do not have good vision at all, many times, at looking at the sins of my own heart. And I know that there have been many times in my life where I have seen someone sin and I have been inclined to write them off, to throw them away. I want to say to you that as the Lord convicts me of this, I'm realizing more and more Jesus is constantly restoring those that we would never think about restoring. He is constantly loving those that we do not love well. And I think we have a lack of forgiveness in our hearts because we underestimate our sins and overestimate the sins of others. I want to say this to you, that repentance many times is, and revival comes many times because we are able to see the wickedness in our own hearts more clearly than we've ever seen it before. As long as you are focused on the sins of another person, you are distracted from the sins in your heart. And when God begins to show you this, the devil will give you a million reasons to hold on to those sins. You will be prideful. Right now, you are perhaps being made aware of some sin in your heart. It's floating around in your mind, and the devil is saying he's not talking to you. I want you to know I am talking to you. Better yet, the Spirit is talking to you. Repent of those sins. You are not going to have a witness that is shining for Jesus. You are not going to experience revival if you continue in your sins. We have to repent. Few of us have trouble forgiving the abstract sinner. Most of us have trouble forgiving the sinner whose sin hurt us. I know this is true for me. I know that over the years... The evidence of grace most lacking in the church is forgiveness. This is my story, sadly. We have to be able to love one another. Sin is destructive. and We cannot dismiss it. We're not talking about some kind of easy process here. We're talking about the gut-wrenching reality. Those moments when I have felt the spirit move. Let me just say, when we've been talking about revival today, there have been a few times in the last 28 years where I think I've touched on revival. Just a few times. Let me tell you, the only two like tangible feelings I can remember The one time it happened in Texas when I was still in seminary pastoring a little church there in the country. I can remember the Spirit of God moving and I remember being in the altar of that little church and my nose in the carpet and I couldn't get up because of the heaviness in the room. That's one way I think I have felt the move of God. The other way, the only other time I can say, and it just breaks my heart to say that twice in 28 years, That's a terrible batting average. It's horrible. The second time was when I was working on my doctorate. And we began to talk about spiritual things. Revival. And I can just remember. It was like one or two in the afternoon. And I just wanted to leave that classroom and go home. And ask my wife for forgiveness. Because I realized that the people nearest to me I had loved. Not nearly as much as I should have. 
Like the very first thing. I, I, I didn't like, you know, you think a preacher, you, you feel convicted that you need to be more evangelistic or preach better sermons or I don't know. But my very first feeling was that I had not loved my wife well. You see, when God starts working on you, it'll be like that, I think. It won't, it won't necessarily be some, some amazing you know, message written in flame in the sky, but it'll be that deep impression on your heart that you are not Christ-like in your relationships, in your words, in your actions. Revival comes when all that we say and do starts to line up with all that Jesus said and did. And I am praying that this morning you are feeling that pull, that magnetic pull to Jesus, to be more like him. I am not up here pointing a finger at anybody. I know that I need to be more like him. And I need to look in because revival starts when I start getting serious about the sin in my heart. I'm not worried about your sin right now. I'm just going to worry about the sin in my heart. And I'm going to ask God to reveal it and help me to get it out. Then I can look different. I can have a witness that is Christ-filled, a worship that is spirit-filled, a ministry that is God-honoring. And that will just drive me again to the Word of God, where I'm letting the Word of God guide every step of my day and move me to that richer, deeper, more full relationship with God. But that deeper relationship with God for you right now for us, it starts with repentance. So if you will, bow your heads. Why don't you stand, bow your heads. I'm going to pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.